Welcome to the Danish National Biobank podcast. We've been gone for quite a while due to the coronavirus pandemic. We return now, however, to give you this special series. With speaks from our co-hosted symposium, Scaling Omics Approaches to Population Size. This is Henrik Ullum of Copenhagen University Hospital and soon to be the director of Staten Serum Institute. On the topic, the Danish biobanks and registers as perfect tools for research and precision medicine. Thank you. Honestly, these days I'm a little schizophrenic, so who was I am and who will I be in the future? So you can see I put a lot of uh, different icons up here. So right now I'm a professor in clinical medicine at the University of Copenhagen working at Rigshospitalet. Uh, I'm actually also the chair of the medical societies in Denmark. We'll hand over that position tomorrow to someone else. Uh, and I will soon be the leader of the State and Institute and therefore also overall responsible for the uh, National Biobank uh, hosted there, which you heard about already previously today. So what will I talk about? Uh, I will draw on these different roles. So first I'll talk a little about the political uh, spectrum. We have been working with uh, precision medicine in Denmark, so that's mainly the, the chairman of the medical societies that will be talking uh, here. Uh, then I'll talk about uh, the biobanks. I'll build on some of what you already heard from Lasse and from Christian. Uh, uh, and then I'll mention some of the biobanks that we have built in our unit and how we see them uh, working in the future. So first, uh, the uh, medical society in, in Denmark, we have 25,000 uh, members uh, and we've been heavily involved in the discussion about to, how to use health data and how to develop precision uh, medicine. Uh, and I must say that this has not always been an easy task to, to, uh, to um, be the speaking voice for this. You may of take the use of biobanks and use of the nice big data that we have collected in the Nordic countries as granted, but it's not. It's constantly being debated uh, and therefore we always need to make sure that we very clearly communicate all the good work that we can do with these biobanks and these bioresources. Uh, because when we do this, it's much easier to, to defend uh, all the, the research that is going on in the public. You've seen these kind of slides a million times. So this is about why we are trying to develop precision medicine. That's, of course, because a lot of people uh, get treatment that are not very effective. So this was the drawing that was used to develop and promote the Danish precision medicine program. Uh, and in more detail, the idea is that we can take a group of patients and we can characterize them with different techniques. And with that, we can define prognostic markers, prediction of treatment effects, markers of side effects. And hopefully in the future, we will be able to give more precise medicine to all these different patients and have less side effects and better uh, outcomes.
This is a part of a global trend. Uh, you're all aware of curves like this. So this is on a logarithmic scale. Uh, how much does it cost to sequence a whole genome? And you can see from the beginning, astronomically high values of 100 million uh, US dollars. Uh, we are now down below 1,000 US dollars uh, per uh, genome. And this means that now it's not the cost of these techniques that's actually the, the limiting factor of developing these techniques. And of course, all different kinds of other uh, omics techniques, they are undergoing the same kind of development. Uh, we can handle larger data sets uh, and the techniques are becoming uh, cheaper, more available. Uh, and that will drive the, the uh, evolution in the, in the coming years. And that will feed into the precision medicine programs uh, in the future, I believe. The Danish uh, precision medicine program uh, has some very, very strong uh, sites. Uh, one thing is that there are United stakeholders. Second is that we have a very strong uh, health research tradition in Denmark. And uh, thirdly, uh, as we will come deeper into a little later, uh, we have these very uh, good uh, health data and these very strong biobanks that we hopefully can build on. So the stakeholders in the precision medicine program are the state, the health regions, universities, and various interest groups. And I, as the chair of the medical societies, have been one of these interest groups, or, or represent of one of these interest groups, and has therefore uh, uh, been involved in the in the development of the uh, program. Um, so a little about the other advantage, uh, which you already heard, and this is actually, it's not only a Danish advantage, this is a Scandinavian advantage, a Nordic advantage, that is our fantastic ability to link data. And in Denmark, that's of course uh, linked by the uh, our CPR number. Uh, and with this, we can kind of follow each individual health-wise and also social-wise uh, from uh, cradle to grave. Uh, and Building up large uh, biobanks on top of this gave us unique opportunities then to link this information together and uh, thereby, thereby uh, making detailed healthcare studies not possible to perform elsewhere in the world. Uh, so how is how is the Danish Precision Medicine Program? It's uh, yesterday we actually selected the last groups of who will be genome sequenced with patient group that will be genome sequenced in the future. Uh, and the whole idea is that, of course, if you come as a patient, you will, uh, if you have a relevant disease, uh, you will then be genome sequenced and it will be searched if the cause of your disease has a genetic root and uh, then if, if uh, that genetic root then uh, gives a rise to a new uh, therapy. Just one example, uh, that's cardiovascular diseases. Uh, a lot of those will in the future be uh, genome uh, sequenced. And the, this is Henning Bungor, who was mentioned a little previously. He's a professor and uh, inherited uh, cardiovascular diseases. And the, of course, the hope is that a lot more patients, they will receive not only uh, comfort, not only say, okay, sorry, you have a serious disease, we cannot really do something about it, but actually being able to be at least treated or even cured. So more words about the precision medicine programs, some pitfalls. Uh, I think there are some problems in the programs as well. Uh, one problem which uh, is obvious from uh, a course like this, we're discussing all kinds of omics technologies in the present uh, 
um, Danish precision medicine program, it's actually based mainly on uh, genomics. There are some legal restrictions as well. That means a lot of the data that are coming from uh, previous studies from large biobanks, they can actually not, for legal reasons, uh, feed into the Danish precision medicine program. You may ask, why is that? And that is actually feeding back to the to the very harsh data debate uh, in which the, the Danish precision medicine program was uh, uh, designed. So the, the original design would allow a lot more data to flow into the program, but right now it's, it's very restricted and only future patients can be included in that. Then there are different uh, 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 ethical dilemmas, consumer genetic, incidental findings, ethical dilemmas. Uh, I mentioned uh, strong stakeholders. If you have a lot of strong stakeholders, it's good, but sometimes the collaboration between these stakeholders has not been perfect. We have a healthcare system uh, which lack uh, understanding of this whole thing. Therefore, it's important that young people like you are learning about uh, this. And then finally, uh, I already mentioned the data skepticism that is a uh, continuing threat uh, both against the precision medicine program, but actually also against a lot of the biobank research being performed. So what is the idea by it? Uh, in all this? The whole idea is that if we take one person's life, uh, we are born with some uh, genes, we have some environmental uh, effects uh, through our life, and then at some time point we will start facing various diseases and we can have uh, various outcomes of these diseases. Uh, and of course, precision medicine is about predicting which of these factors are important, predicting what course will you take and how can you move uh, one individual from a, a bad course into a better course. In order to do that, uh, we need to have detailed uh, data. Uh, this is a slide uh, developed or picture developed by Eric Topol, uh, and he's describing this as deep medicine and deep phenotyping. That is the combination of long range of different layers of information which will allow us to understand the biology and the clinical phenotype of each patient and each disease in a time-wise matter um, in a better way. And this is where biobanks come into play, of course, in combination with a lot of other data, but using different biological samples to characterize patients in detail will allow us to, in the future, hopefully to get this much deeper understanding of disease. This is a slide from ULASA. Uh, so this is showing the, the National Biobank Register, and I think that's one of the uh, best inventions in, in the Danish biobank landscape uh, today, because the whole idea is that all, uh, at least the ones that ha have volunteered to, to be appearing in the, in the biobank register uh, can be seen. Uh, so it's like an open platform for collaboration. So you can see what samples are there. And I know that Les have already probably shown you how you will search for such samples. Uh, and I can say now I'm going to talk about some of the biobanks that we have built. I'm going to talk about Copenhagen Hospital Biobank and uh, the Danish blood donor study. Uh, and of course, these two uh, biobanks are visible in the biobank register uh, in the point of that we want them to be used in, in large collaborations. So uh, in a 
few weeks more, I'm heading the Copenhagen Hospital Biobank Unit, uh, where we have the vision that we create very large uh, biobanks and we also run professional biobanks for hospital researchers in the capital region. Uh, and the Copenhagen Hospital Biobank, we store whole blood from uh, around half a million patients. And then we have the Danish blood donor study, where we are following uh, consecutively uh, 130,000 participants in the Danish blood donor study. I'll describe these in a little more detail. So this is a, a slide at the left. You see uh, the inclusion in the Copenhagen Hospital Biobank, where we use clinical samples sent to our laboratory and then we have finished analyzing them instead of throwing them away. We keep them. We check if we have this individual in the biobank and if not, we keep the sample. Uh, and uh, as such, uh, we have a nice uh, liner growth of samples uh, in uh, the biobank. Of course, we regularly check if uh, these individuals have registered in the opt-out register, Vevsanvendelsesregister in Denmark, uh, and samples from people who have registered there will, of course, not be used uh, to in, in uh, research. If you compare this biobank in size, it has the size of some of the largest well-known biobanks in the world. It's uh, almost uh, at the same size as uh, UK biobank, uh, but there's one major difference. These are sick individuals. So if you look at, uh, at uh, clinical diseases, we have a very, very rich uh, biobank. And uh, that has allowed us to develop a series of protocols. Uh, the protocols you see at the left, the protocols we are working on. And the protocols at the right, they are in the pipeline. Actually, there's also a COVID-19 protocol. I didn't have it on this slide. Um, and and the whole idea, if you if you look at the numbers, you can see the, the numbers in blue with the uh, hashtag in front. Uh, that's the numbers number of individuals in each protocol. So, for instance, if you look at the cardiovascular protocols, you can see that's almost two hundred thousand individuals in uh, included in that protocol. This means that when we go out and make collaborations in genetic research, uh, in large uh, global meta-analysis, we typically can contribute with something like 20 to 30 to even 35% uh, of the global cases on almost any diseases that we have been working with uh, until now. So it's a, on a world, world scale, one of the largest biobanks uh, in, in clinical samples. Um, the way we, we work with these biobanks is that for each uh, of, of these uh, protocols is that for each protocol, we try to identify the best clinical researchers uh, in the uh, area here and internationally. And then we develop the, uh, the scientific uh, work with these uh, colleagues. And this uh, slide you already saw from uh, Christian Wien. Uh, so that's a slide on the cardiovascular study. Uh, so the whole idea is that to take uh, individuals that have experienced uh, myocardial ischemia and then to identify who uh, will have a good prognosis, that's the green ones, uh, and who will have a very poor prognosis. And doing that, we will combine all different uh, kinds of, of information that would include uh, information from patient files, uh, image information analyzed through artificial intelligence. And then uh, what we contribute with uh, is uh, a lot of genetics, of course. 
The second biobank I'm going to mention to you, which I have been working with for the last 10 years, that's the Danish blood donor study. Uh, we utilize that a lot of individuals, they come and donate blood for other people and they are there, they are laying in the bed with a needle in their arm. Uh, and we realized if we ask them if they also would like to participate in research, they are uh, more than 95% of the blood donors are actually willing also to contribute to research. So since 2010, we have systematically asked as many blood donors as we can handle if they would like to uh, participate also in the Danish uh, blood donor study. And with that, we have reached 130,000 uh, participants. So we have follow-up years of more than 400,000 uh, risk years and actually uh, more than 1 million samples. And the reason why we have more than 1 million samples is that we keep a sample from each time these individuals, they come and give blood. Uh, like the, the Copenhagen Hospital Biobank, uh, these individuals have been genotyped. We have done the genotyping in collaboration with Deco Genetics at uh, Iceland, and of course, uh, utilizing that in large-scale genetic studies. I'll just mention ex one example. That's an example uh, I've been uh, very heavily involved uh, in, and that's about uh, the uh, iron metabolism. Uh, iron Iron uh, uh, deficiency and iron uh, overload, they are both dangerous for the individual and therefore to have the right balance in your iron metabolism is extremely uh, important. And in particular, blood donors, they have, uh, since they give away blood and each time they give a blood, they uh, lose a lot of iron. So iron deficiency is a particular problem for our participants in the Danish uh, blood donor study. Before we initiated the study and before we um, started to prevent iron deficiency, uh, more than a third of uh, regular donating young women had severe iron deficiency. So it's a, it's a massive problem among blood donors. The way we have done the study is that we are collaborating uh, with Deco Genetics, of course, uh, and then we are uh, col collaborating with colleagues uh, at the, in the UK. That's an interval study, that's a large blood donor study as well, uh, and then us with the Danish blood donor study. And together, these three parties, we have then run a meta-analysis looking into different iron markers, one of them being ferritin. Ferritin is a well-known marker for iron stores. Uh, and why do I show this to you? That is just to show that if you make a very, very large collaboration, you can really find some massive findings. So you can see uh, in this study, uh, we didn't find one, two, three. We actually find, found 46 new loci uh, involved in uh, our regulation of iron stores uh, in these individuals. Uh, so, so it's a uh, more than tripling of the known variants uh, previously, and uh, not surprisingly, uh, these variants they can be put into different categories uh, involving both erythropoiesis, gut absorption, uh, and uh, uh, the uh, hepatic uh, uh, cir cir circulating of uh, iron, and in the hepcidin metabolism, and finally uh, in uh, bleeding. So it's, it's nice to see that a lot of these uh, variants that we identify, they also have uh, a biological understanding. 
Then just to come back a little to these repeated samples we have on all these individuals, you can imagine it, when you follow more than 100,000 individuals uh, through many years, we will experience or they will experience all kinds of diseases. So in that biobank, we, we have uh, individuals with all uh, uh, common diseases. So the whole idea is that one day we ask them to be included and they keep donating. We keep the samples. We uh, track that, uh, what uh, contact they have with the health registers. Uh, and with that, we have a massive biobank where we can follow individuals even before they fall sick. So the whole idea is that then, of course, uh, to take groups of individuals, some being sick and some staying well, uh, and then compare the samples uh, before uh, before these individuals fall sick. So this is a unique biobank. As a lot of biobanks you would see worldwide, they will collect uh, samples on people that are already sick. And that's, of course, that's a time point where you already have the diagnosis um, but more important, I think, it is also to have some samples for people who will fall sick soon because these samples, they can be used to identify markers that will predict future diseases. Uh, so that's extremely unique for this, uh, for this biobank. I want to... So we have defined this as the Danish biomarker cohort, which we in the future will uh, explore extensively. Uh, we would like to, uh, to use broad scale omics uh, 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 methods on this. Uh, right now we are undertaking an effort in a slightly smaller scale. In the mesoscale platform we will measure 54 uh, markers uh, on a group of 20,000 individuals and that's a mix of a cross-sectional uh, part of 10,000 individuals and then 10,000 individuals selected by different phenotypes and that will typically be uh, individuals that develop various diseases uh, uh, later in their life. And of course, an idea will be if any of these markers will predict this, these future diseases. But I think this is just a start for this part of the biobank. I think there's a huge potential uh, in, in uh, early disease Marcus uh, studies in this biobank. And with that, uh, thanks for listening.